Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's message. Be sure to tune in to whatever Bethesda Church is doing on our website, BethesdaChurch.tv, or check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Now, let's jump into today's message. Good morning, Bethesda Church. Come on, let's give God a shout of praise right now. Can you just give him a praise if he's been good to you? I got to get you warmed up because I got a word for you today. Uh, We were closing out the series that we've been in entitled Pace. And if you've missed uh, any of the messages, go back and listen to it. I think um, they will will bless you. Uh, And I, I think that God is really setting us up for what he wants to do throughout the rest of the year in finding our spiritual pace. And the key text for the series comes from Hebrews chapter number 12. We're going to look at it one last time, and then we'll look at the fourth church, um, actually fifth in order, but it's going to be the fourth one we've discussed from the book of Revelation. But Hebrews chapter number 12, starting in verse number one, says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders. Let us throw off everything that hinders. I think right now in this season, it would be a good time for all of us to take a moment to throw off all the things that are weighing us down. He, he separates the thing that hinders and then the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There is a pace for your race. There's a pace for your spiritual journey. Uh, When we get outside of that pace that God has for us, it's usually because we've picked up some weights that we don't need. We've picked up some attitudes we don't need, some sins we don't need, and it's affecting our walk. It's affecting our pace. And so we have to ask, how do we get back in step or back in pace with God? We not only throw off the weights and throw off the sins, get rid of all of that, but he goes on to tell us to persevere. Everybody say persevere. All right, that that speaks to the fact this is not a sprint, this is a marathon. We persevere, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Why Why are we looking at him? Because he endured opposition. And so if we look to him as the pioneer and perfecter of our faith who also persevered, it helps us to persevere. We we don't run without um, a purpose. We're running with a purpose, okay? We're looking to Jesus as we run. Now, we've been utilizing the churches that Jesus spoke to very specifically in the book of Revelation, uh, and we, we've, gotten, uh, we, we've received a word from each of those churches that, that Jesus had for them that is applicable to where we are. In week one, we looked at the Ephesian church, and we talked about going back before going forward. If you'll remember, Jesus um, 
He gave them a compliment and a correction. I'm going to say that again. A compliment and a correction. Um, One of the things that I have found in this culture is that people want the compliment, but we avoid the correction. We, We want encouragement, but we don't want discipline. And so uh, Jesus did not shy away from giving them a compliment, but he did not shy away from bringing some correction. And he said, the problem is you guys are doing the activity, but your heart's not in it. Go back and do what you did in the beginning. The second week, we looked at the church at Smyrna. And this church had gone through a lot of challenges. They had been persecuted and thrown in prison and died for their faith and uh, slandered. They, they had just gone through it. And Jesus came to them and, and he says to them, he says, be faithful regardless. How many know sometimes it's hard to be faithful? I got two people. Sometimes it's hard to be faithful. Hard to be faithful. If, if it was not hard to be faithful, he wouldn't have had to encourage them to be faithful regardless. Like there's going to be some stuff that comes against you, but I want you to be faithful regardless. And then last week we looked at the church of Pergamum, and this church was placed in the middle of a dark city, had been influenced by false teachers, and we learned the importance of sweating the small stuff. It is the little foxes that spoil the vine. As we close it out, we're going to be looking at the church of Sardis. And I want to call this message, Let's Go. I want you to look at your neighbor to your right and to your left and tell them, let's go. Come on, find somebody else, tell them, let's go. This, this word is going to call somebody to stand up, not on the outside. It's going to call somebody to stand up on the inside. That God's going to put something on the inside of you that's going to cause you to get up. And man, I, I, I am so pumped about what Jesus had to say to this church. It says in Revelation chapter number 3, starting in verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive but you are dead. I I, want to just stop right there. You have a reputation of being alive. That's what everybody thinks about you, but the truth is you're dead. A reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Jesus says, wake up, strengthen what remains, and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They still walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white, I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but I will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus tells the church at Sardis, you have a reputation of being alive, but the truth is you are dead. 
And his word was, wake up. In other words, it's time to get up and get going. He was talking to a church that was spiritually asleep. They had a reputation that they were alive, but spiritually they were asleep. And so he says, wake up, strengthen what remains, strengthen what remains and is about to die. And then he says, I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. Somebody needs to hear today that it's not over until God says it's over. If you have breath in your lungs today, that's a great indication that God still has a purpose and you have some unfinished business to take care of. Jesus says, wake up, let's go. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Why? Because you have some unfulfilled deeds. You got some things I'm calling you to. Some of you want to know why the warfare is so bad and so strong in this season. It's because you have some unfinished business that God wants to do through your life, but you got to wake up spiritually to what God is saying and not be distracted by all the things coming against you. Somebody give God praise right now if you're ready to wake up. I'm going to preach this thing because I, I, I feel something in my spirit today that God wants to do. He said, I want you to wake up. In other words, stir yourself up. Shake yourself. Jesus is saying, let's go. My goodness, can you just imagine for a moment Jesus looking at you, Bethesda Church, and you as families and individuals and, and saying to you, let's go. Anybody want to go where Jesus wants to take you in this season? I'm ready to go wherever that is, whatever that looks like. The church at Sardis, I want you to hear me because you have to hear the context. The church at Sardis had grown tired they had grown stressed out, and they were burned out. That's what was going on in the church. They were tired, stressed out, and burned out. They needed a fresh touch from God that would equip them and help them to get up and walk into their next season. There's a reason why the Scripture tells you and I not to grow weary in doing well. There's always a temptation when you're doing the right thing over and over and you don't see the breakthrough that you want to see, you don't see the change that you want to see. How many of the temptation is to wear out? I'm tired of doing it. I'm tired of, let me tell you, that's the devil every time you feel that. That is never Jesus. He's not telling you to quit. He's not telling you to throw in the towel. He's telling you to wake up Let's go, strengthen what remains, don't die, don't live off your, your reputation that you're alive, ha be really alive. Some of us, the reason we're struggling is we have the appearance that we're alive, but on the inside we're dead. Oh, I'm going to preach, and I may walk the pews in a second. I've been in warfare over this message right here. 
I don't think there's a better description of the global church given um, the, the events that have surrounded this last year that people have walked through. Keep in mind, the Bible tells us prophetically that Satan's job description in the last days is to do one thing, to wear the saints out. That's his job description, to wear you out, to where you don't want to keep going. You don't want to keep praying and keep worshiping and keep standing on the word and keep your mind right and keep your heart right. There's a, there's a temptation, why am I doing all of this if nothing is changing? Jesus has a word for you. If you feel that you've been in that tired, stressed out, burned out place, Jesus says, this is not a season to live off your reputation. You didn't even get that. Some of us were living not in the moment. Right now, you couldn't say, I'm anointed, on fire for Jesus, my heart's right. You couldn't even say that with integrity. But you have the appearance of it because you used to have that. You used to walk in that kind of authority. You used to have that kind of character. You don't right now, but you have the appearance, and so now I have to live. That's the problem with the church. We're so worried about our reputation that, that we want to live off the appearance of having something without, I refuse to live in this culture with something that I don't really have. I'm saying, God, you've got to move in me. Speak to me. Put your spirit in me. I don't want to live off yesteryear, but I want something new, something fresh that's for today. Come on, give him praise today. If you're ready to wake up, church, wake up. The battle is over what God has for you in this season. Hit somebody real hard and tell them, let's go. Let's go. Jesus said, you guys are spiritually asleep. And guys, sleep is not a bad thing. Sleep's not a bad thing. We all know that. Sleep has health benefits. We all need sleep or we don't function properly. Um, we need eight to nine hours. Most adults, teenagers, a whole lot more. I'm finding that out. I remember those days of waking up at one in the afternoon. Like, my goodness. If I did that now, I would feel so bad. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? So sleep's a good thing, but they had fallen spiritually asleep. And we know in the natural, some people, um, they struggle with sleep deprivation. Um, people that have been diagnosed as depressed, uh, for instance, many times they will spend all the, all the hours of the night awake, and then they sleep a big part of the next day, which actually fuels their depression because now they feel unproductive. And so there's sleep is very important. But they had fallen spiritually asleep. And I, I would say that the believers in Sardis had a spiritual sleeping disorder. Because Jesus' word 
is wake up. I remember my dad coming in early on Sunday morning to tell me to wake up. Y'all don't believe this, but I didn't used to want to go to church. Come on, y'all. I I didn't always want to go. And I, I remember him threatening at times, son, I'll come in and pour cold water on you. Because you are going to church. Same thing for school. You know, you got to be shook. You got to be woke up. And Jesus shows up to this church and he says, I want you to wake up. And the, the actual meaning is to keep watch, be alert, be vigilant, be expectant, and be on guard. All right? That's... that's, that's alertness. That is being open to what God is doing. Now, the history of this this city tells the tale about the church because Sardis was a commercial center. The city was located in a valley with a necropolis, a high fortified area that was located 8,000 feet uh, on a high ridge. 800 feet, not 8,000. And if attacked, what would happen is that the people could flee into this Acropolis, this fortress, and it actually uh, protected them. And so it was a great city. It was fortified. It had protection. The king of Lydia set up his empire in Sardis. There was a lot of good things about the city. But although it was a city that could not be penetrated or defeated, it actually um, was defeated two different times. But I want you to hear how this happened. The first time it happened, Cyrus uh, of Persia, he attacked them in the 6th century B.C. And there was no way into the the Acropolis, this fortress, no way for people to get in. So what he did is he offered that a, a big reward for any soldier that could find a way in to this fortified city. And so one evening, one of the Persian soldiers watched one of the soldiers from Sardis drop his helmet over, over the wall. And as he made his way down to go and get his helmet, the Persian soldier counted and marked his steps and to figure out exactly the way in and how much time they had. And that very night, he led a raiding army into that route of the fortress. And when they got to the top of the wall, they found that the city was unguarded. Sardis, get this, they felt so secure that they no longer kept watch. They were so secure, they no longer kept watch. The soldiers were asleep. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church. He says, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. The soldiers were asleep and gave up the city. This also happened another time. And after they were um, seized by the Persians and after capturing the city, Cyrus forbade anyone to own a weapon. I want you to get this. He comes in, he forbids anybody in the city to own a weapon. They wore tunics and then they wore actor's boots instead of army boots or army sandals, and he forced them into the arts, music, dance, and retail, 
And I'm telling you that because what happened is, is he took away their fighting spirit and made them passive. He took away their ability to fight, their want to fight, and he made them passive. And the result in, in the church is that they had fallen asleep. I want, you know, this is a prophetic charge for the people of God because many in this hour have lost their fighting spirit. They have become passive. If they do fight, they're actually fighting the wrong battle. It's one thing for you to fight with people, one thing for you to fight over political agendas and opinions, but I'm alarmed at the amount of people that are engaged in battles that do not count, but they are passive when it comes to the kingdom of God and their calling and where the anointing and what God wants to do in their life. Passive when it comes to the things of God. Have a take it or leave it mentality when it comes to the things of God. But man, we are bold when it comes to our own desires or our political opinions or who we want to fight with today. We're bold and passionate and we want to fight. But I'm asking church, where is that fighting spirit when it comes to the call of God, when it comes to the purpose of God, when it comes to what God wants to do in your home and in your family, are you willing to fight or are you going to be asleep when the enemy comes in? Wake up. Let's go. Come on, hit two people and tell them let's go. I'm going to preach until somebody gets with this because I, I refuse. I, you know what? I refuse to pastor a church that's, that, that is um, alive on reputation. I'm tempted to say something right here, but I don't want all the emails. God knows my box fills up weekly. It's just the season we're in. But I refuse to live off a of reputation. Some of you, you were more anointed five years ago than you are now. But you got the appearances up to make everybody believe you're anointed. Make everybody believe that you got the goods. But what good is it to have the appearance of being alive? I mean, if we just have an appearance of being alive, then shut the whole thing down. There is no sense in having an appearance if you don't have the goods. People are more in tune with their own desires than they are fighting the battle that God has called them to. This same city came under the rule of Alexander the Great, and when they could not besiege Sardis, they could not get in, you know what they did? They went and studied what the Persians did, and they, did, they went in the same way. They went in while the soldiers were asleep the same way and took over the city. So Jesus tells them, wake up. Paul echoes this clarion call in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, this is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Romans 13 and 11, do this understanding the present time. 
The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The sleep that is referred to in the book of Revelation is a spiritual lethargy, a depression, and watch this, a lack of joyous energy. I know who's anointed and who's not by joy. If you don't have joy, you're not anointed. Oh, my goodness. You, you, you can tell how desperately we need it. Because when you, when you preach like this, everybody gets real tight. We get real tight. You know why? Because we would rather make people believe we have it than to actually have it. Sardis was asleep, spiritually lethargic, but they had the reputation they were alive. So how, how does this happen? Why, why, do, why, do church, why do the people of God go to sleep? We, and, and let me give a disclaimer. Everybody in this room at some point you have been spiritually asleep. You've not been that close to Jesus the whole time. So we got to ask, why do we sleep spiritually? The answers, I'm I'm so glad you want the answers because I'm giving them to you anyway. Number one, we sleep to escape. We're spiritually asleep because we want to escape. We want to escape from our fears. We want to escape from the demands that life has put on us. And we get tired and we want to sleep spiritually because we don't want to face our fears. We don't want to deal with life's demands. And we want to live in a dream world. Depressed people, as I said earlier, often battle with oversleeping. And sometimes it's not really that they're oversleeping, it's they don't sleep all night, so they sleep all day. They, they get all mixed up. But the reason they get there is because of fear, anxiety, stress, the same thing in the spiritual and the natural. The, the reason why we sleep spiritually is to escape. We don't want to deal with the mental and the emotional things that we have to deal with, the, the anguish of it all. How many's ever just been tired, not physically, but I have found myself not so much tired physically. I could still get out and play ball with my sons or do whatever, but emotionally. Anybody been tired emotionally lately? And have you ever noticed, though, that sometimes when you sleep longer than you should, you feel worse? <laughs> It's like, I'm going to sleep a couple extra hours because I got the day off, and you, you sleep the extra couple hours, and then you get up and like, oh, my head hurts, my back hurts. You laid in that bed too long, and you don't feel as good as you thought you would feel. See, Sardis was escaping, and here, here's something that's not in your notes, but you may want to write it down. When we're spiritually asleep, we do it to avoid the challenges. We don't want to, we, we just... I don't have the energy. I don't want to deal with the challenges. 
but we, what we don't understand is why we're avoiding the challenges because we're spiritually asleep. We are forfeiting opportunities. The same time I make a decision, I can't deal with this, which is we've all been there. I just can't deal with it. So what do we do? We spiritually sleep on it. And while we're spiritually sleeping on something we should be handling, God has been rolling out opportunities over here. And you're missing the victory of defeating the challenge. And you're missing the new assignment and the new opportunity God has given you. And it's all connected to the fact that you want to escape. You you don't want to deal with anything. So we spiritually go to sleep. And Jesus said that you guys are asleep, and and he's talking about he connects their reputation. In other words, you guys are still dreaming about the past, the reputation of days gone by. He said you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Um, How do we know that we are spiritually asleep and living in a day that has passed us? I think that's a great question to answer. And the answer to that question is, is that if your vision for tomorrow is not greater than your dreams of the past, you are spiritually asleep. You're spiritually asleep. If if what I'm looking forward to is not greater than what God has brought me through, then, then I am spiritually asleep. And what we tend to do is we tend to romanticize the past. And we dream about the past. And we talk about the past. And we say things like, don't you remember, pastor, the good old days? And, and, and they were good, but they were not as good as we remember. Because we have selective memory when it comes to the past, only remembering the good and exaggerating, and, and exaggerating the good and forgetting the bad. It has been said that a man never gets old until regrets take the place of his dreams. And I want to speak to every person that's been living in regret instead of dreaming. Yeah, you got some regrets and so does everybody in this room. The only person that doesn't have a regret is Jesus Christ himself. So I came to announce, wake up, shake yourself off, dust yourself off, start moving forward. Bethesda Church, let's go. Come on, tell somebody, let's go. We got to shake some stuff. The past ain't as great as we say it is. The Holy Spirit wants to pull us out of the shadows of our regret and bring us into the light of our dreams. See, we sleep spiritually in an attempt to escape. We're just too tired to deal with the challenges, and now we're forfeiting opportunities. Secondly, we sleep because we forget about the people who are entrusted to our care. This is a heavy part. We're asleep spiritually because we forgot about the people that we're responsible for. If we're not careful, we'll become like Israel's prophets. They were called watchmen, but the only person they were watching out for was themselves. 
They were supposed to be watching over the flock and watching over the people. But Isaiah 56 and 10 says, Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They are all mute dogs. How many of the Bible can be pretty tough? They cannot bark. I don't know if I would want to bark, but I can't bark. Y'all smile. Come on, y'all. This is, this is one of those verses like, wow. They lie around and, watch this, they, they lie around and dream. They love to sleep. They focus on themselves, and they forgot about the people God has entrusted to their care. What a message, not only for the church, but guys, let's trans. What a message for parents. What a word for teachers. What a, a message for leaders. And the reason it's a powerful message is because if you are spiritually asleep parent, your kids pay the price. Teachers, if you're spiritually asleep, your students will pay the price. Leaders, if you're spiritually asleep, those you're called to lead will pay the price. Paul told the Ephesian church elders to keep watch over the flock entrusted to their care, that they needed to stay awake and keep watch over their areas of responsibility. We're told in the Christmas account that the shepherds in Bethlehem were said to be watching over the flocks by night when, when Jesus was born. They were on guard, watching at their post, on duty. One of the most powerful portraits of God is the way that he watches over us. How many are thankful that Psalm 121 verses 4 and 5 tells us that God will neither slumber nor sleep but watches over us 24-7. Come on, somebody, 365. He, he's never asleep at the wheel of your life. He's very much engaged. One of the most important ministries we have is watching over those that we love. And we're watching over them in prayer. What if you prayed for them instead of complained about them? What if you spent some time asking the Holy Spirit to do something in those that have been entrusted to your care, to do something that you could never do for them? We sleep to escape. We sleep because we've forgotten about those entrusted to our care. And, and guys, number three, I feel like it's where the world has been. We sleep because we get spiritually distracted. We grow spiritually dull when we get entangled in the things of the world. That's why Hebrews 12 has been the key text. Throwing aside every weight, every distraction, every hindrance, Whatever that is, whether it be a bitter heart or unforgiveness or an attitude or whatever, a sin, a hobby. I mean, there's a million things you can get distracted with that pull you away from your purpose. And just like Jesus told the disciples, he said, we, we, you need to wake up. He said, watch and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. He cautioned us about getting too entangled with anxiety and fear. Samson in the Old Testament, we love talking about Samson and watching the movies about Samson because he's a man's man, strong, anointed, killing people with a jawbone. I mean, he's like Rambo, you know, he's awesome. But, but we got to ask the question, when did he lose his power? When did he lose his anoint, anointing? 
He lost it while he was asleep on Delilah's lap. While he was distracted with Delilah and fell asleep, he lost his anointing. And the Bible tells us in Judges chapter 16, when the Philistines came up against Samson in the 21st verse, I think it is, he awoke from his sleep and he thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know, he did not know that the Lord had left him. See, this is the problem when you are asleep spiritually, is that when you decide that I want to operate and exercise in the authority that I used to have before I went to sleep, before I got distracted, before I forgot about the people that I'm responsible for, I want to go back and exercise that authority. What happens is, is that you'll be like Samson. You'll try to shake yourself in the moment because you need God to do something, but you'll discover that God's not moving on your behalf. Nobody wants to hear that, right? We all want the, we want the breakthrough. But anointing precedes breakthrough. And anointing doesn't rest upon a person's life because of what they used to do. It rests on your life because of what you are actively doing. Check this out. I'm I'm getting ready to, to land the plane. Jesus told a story to illustrate this point, and he called it the, it's called the parable of the weeds. In Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse number 24, I want you to hit your neighbor real quick and tell him, let's go. Let's go. That's the message today. Look at what it says. It says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, Didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now let's pick it up in verse 36, because now the disciples are like, this is a really good story. Can you please explain it? And so Jesus answered them in verse 37. It says, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. Do I have any people of the kingdom here? Not just coming to church. I said, do I got any people of the kingdom here? Field is the world. The good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. 
As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. They will grow them or throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. I want you to notice just a couple of things, and I'll, I'll quit. I want you to notice that the weeds were when the weeds were sown. The weeds were sown while everyone was sleeping. While everyone was sleeping, the enemy came in, sowed poisonous weeds among the wheat, or among the wheat. And, and so the point is, is that when we are spiritually asleep, the enemy will sow poisonous weeds that will intertwine with the good, the wheat that God has in your life. And this becomes problematic because you want to go and pluck the weeds. I did a lot of landscaping this year. Pastor Karen did more than me. I'm not supposed to admit that, but she did more than me. And she, she would weed every single day. The problem spiritually is, is that if you go and pluck the weeds spiritually, what happens is, is not only do you get rid of the weeds, but you, you, you hurt some wheat. But the whole thing started when people were sleeping. The point is not, don't get caught up on the pulling them out. I want you to think about when they were planted. They are planted when we are spiritually asleep. And the antidote is, watch this, don't fall asleep spiritually. Come on, come up out of your lazy boy. Your spiritual lazy boy. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Strengthen what remains because you have unfinished deeds. And so the way we do that, watch this, is that we have to guard our heart. If we don't guard our heart, we will be put to sleep by the enemy. Because sometimes it's not even that we don't want to deal with things or, you know, we um, are, are just struggling and, and, and that kind of... Sometimes... It's just that we've allowed the wrong things into our heart. And when we allow the wrong things into our heart, it's like we've been given some NyQuil in the spirit. We mad and we're loud, but we're not anointed anymore. Y'all surviving this message? Hit somebody and tell them, let's go. Let's go. We, 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 we've got to wake up. We've got to deal with Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. When Mother Teresa, the worship team comes back, when Mother Teresa was asked, what is the main reason why people lose their spiritual passion? What's the main reason why? She said they become distracted. Distractions are why we become spiritually asleep. We want to escape. We, for, we start forgetting about the people entrusted to our care. We sleep because we're spiritually distracted. And number four, the last one, we sleep because we forget about Jesus's return. Guys, I'm not making it up. This is like Revelation chapter three. 
Look at what he says. Jesus told him, he said, and by the way, while you've been living off reputation and you're not really alive but dead and you need to wake up and let's go, he says, I come like a thief in the night. Now, as I study this out, obviously, our first indication is that's the rapture. That's like, he's talking about the rapture, but it's really a twofold meaning. Because if you read over the first couple of verses and don't pay attention, you'll miss where it talks about the sevenfold spirit that Jesus comes with. And so it's the thief in the night is twofold. It's the first part of that is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He's saying that if you don't repent, and wake up so that we can get going. He said, I'll come like a thief in the night. I'll pour out my spirit, and while everybody's getting it, you're going to miss out on it. The second part of that is we know the return of Christ. How many know Jesus comes like a thief in the night? In an hour that you think not, he will come in the blink of an eye, the twinkling of an eye. And so the promise of Jesus' return should make us active, not passive. The rapture has become, for a lot of people, a theology of despair. They have no vision of making the world a better place. They are literally just taking up space. They have given up hope, and they think that the only thing God can do is take us out through the rapture. But the gospel of Christ is the power of transformation. And until he comes like a thief in the night, we got to be about the Father's business while it's still day so that we can advance the kingdom and do what he's called us to do. Everybody's standing. Everybody stand. I want to hit you with this real quick. In the fifth verse, Revelation 3, he said, the one who's victorious will like them. They'll be dressed in white. I'll never blot out the the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father. To the person who wakes up, who doesn't stay asleep, who really says, let's go, He says, I'm going to give you a new garment. You'll be white. I don't have time to go into it, but white, that's the the color of victory and purity. He said the second thing, he said, your name will never be blotted out from my book. But listen, that's for those who are awake. I'll let you interpret that however you want to. I just wouldn't take a chance on being asleep and thinking I'm getting in. Oh, well. Then the third thing, he said, I will acknowledge you if you stay awake. We're always testifying about his goodness. He's, he's like, if you stay awake, stay spiritually alert and vibrant. He says, I'll acknowledge you. This is Jesus talking. I'll acknowledge you to my father. I got those goosebumps all over me right there. I'm going to talk to the Father about you. And what separated you is that in a culture where people are spiritually asleep and follow their own desires, you refuse to give in to it. You said, I'll remain faithful. 
I'll, I'll keep doing what God has called me to do. And so I'll end by saying, church, let's go. There's a reward to be received. Let's go. There is a race to be ran. Let's go. There's a relationship to be developed. Let's go. There's a need that we need to meet. Let's go. There are, there's a team that needs our serve. Let's go. There's a marriage to be healed. Let's go. There's a prodigal that needs to come home. Let's go. There's a calling to be answered. Let's go. There's a battle to fight. Let's go. There's a dream to be fulfilled. Let's go. There's a harvest to be reaped. Let's go. There's a world to be saved. Let's go. There's a kingdom to be established. Let's go. There's a heaven to be gained. Bethesda Church, let's go. Come on, church. If you're ready to go, give him a shout in this place. Come on, if you're ready to wake up, let's go. Let's go. Pastor Jay, let's go. Pastor Karen, let's, let's go. Pastor Josh, let's go. People have got, let's go. Jesus shows up and just says, wake up. You got some unfinished things. Don't be stuck reminiscing. Guys, Bethesda Church, we have some great history. But I want you to know our destiny is greater than our history. I feel faith. I may kick it. This one's a little heavier. It may hurt something. Our destiny is greater than our history. If you believe the word of God and receive it and you are willing to wake up in this hour, give God the highest praise you have all day long. Come on. Give him the praise in the house. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can go to BethesdaChurch.tv slash give. We'll catch you on the next episode, and we hope you have a great day.